Hi everyone, and welcome to the Wordonomics podcast, brought to you by the UQES Diversity Team. During the semester, Abby, Ali, Eleanor, and I will interview guests to talk about issues that matter. Next, I'd just like to ask, you know, as the recipient of the Microeconomics Honours Prize, what advice do you have for current and future honours students? Oh man, it sounds like a prestigious prize to be the recipient of. <laughs> I'm certainly lucky, I guess, to receive it. My honours cohort had a lot of fantastic students in it. And I remember when I received that prize, I was actually pretty shocked because I think there are a lot of people that deserve to win it as well because they were also great students. So yeah, it's interesting being the recipient of this prize. But um, one of the reasons why I think I got it was because I was a bit of the microeconomics guru and I did all the micro honours subjects that were on offer. And I had been tutoring microeconomics a lot. And although that's not how this prize is actually determined, it meant that I began to become like just really familiar with microeconomics. Like I'm tutoring Econ 3010 right now, advanced micro, and it's my fourth year of tutoring it. And just in doing so, it becomes a bit like second nature for me. And if someone's familiar with the microeconomics field, there's a lot of, a lot of maths behind it and real analysis and problem solving, the sort of stuff that I've already confessed to being a huge fan of. So I think the reason why I was the recipient of that prize was because it was my specialty, is what I was interested in. And I think advice for current and future honors students is that if you have an area that you're particularly interested in, then just keep chasing after it and getting good at that area. There's, there's a time for trying different things and exploring and I did that a lot in my undergrad and then there's a time for picking the field that you love and that you're interested in and good at and then kind of digging in and really specializing in that field and in my honors year that was what I did for micro and yeah that, that definitely came across in my thesis as well because in um, the subjects that I was learning and the different topics that I was doing I actually managed to incorporate that into my thesis I remember in micro B, you learn things like sequential equilibria, which I'll hold myself back from explaining the details of, but it's just a form of game theory, really. And it was directly relevant to my own thesis work with, I got to hold myself back. Yeah, it's relevant to my thesis work. And when I, the day that I realized the similarity between what I was studying in my coursework and what I was researching, I just like ran to my computer and was like adding it in and adding explanations that I could now formalize, I guess, more technically. And I think that that was what set me above maybe some of my peers was just, it was probably quite obvious reading my thesis that I loved what I was doing. And that was, I guess, yeah, what, what constituted doing well for me. I always find it giving this advice interesting though, because I know that someone hearing this might be like, okay, well, I don't really love anything the same way that you do. So what does that mean? Do I just give up? Don't do that either because that's how I have found my career so far is like success and chasing after things that I'm good at and that I love. But I also see that other people have different approaches and kind of like the explanation I gave earlier about being a good tutor. There are other ways that people are good students. And I, I saw that in my honesty of like fantastic students that didn't necessarily love what they're doing, but they, they were chasing after a career in a field that required like good honors grades. And I saw them excel across the year. And that was really impressive. Seeing them do well in courses that they didn't like, that was really cool to see. So yeah, my advice is to find something that you love, but then also 
just put a little asterisk there that if you aren't loving something, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you can't do well. Just you got to find your why, why you're there, why you're wanting to do well, and see if you can leverage that as motivation to push your career further. Really good answer. From here, we're moving to talk about your postgrad life, so PhD in lecturing. First, I believe you said you started deciding halfway through your undergrad that you would like to start a PhD. So how was deciding to commit to a PhD, applying for it and starting it? So my general career was gearing up from dual degree maths, econ and undergrad into honors year for econ into a question mark. So I always knew well, I didn't always knew, but while I was doing my undergrad, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to do my honors year and I wasn't ever umming or ahhing about that. The part that was like a checkpoint where I could decide to maybe go into the corporate world or into consulting or work at the RBA was what you can sort of do after you finish your honors year. And I didn't know exactly when I, what I wanted to do, but I was kind of wanting to progress along the academic pathway as my baseline. And then was willing to sort of reevaluate that based on how I found honors. And so 2020 hit and I'd already been enjoying so much what I was doing already that I was super excited to start my honors year. And actually when it began, I had like a midlife crisis, if you will, maybe I shouldn't use that term, but I had, had a moment of like, what am I doing? Like, am I even good at this? I was looking at my peers and honors who were just fantastic and I was watching them just nail so much stuff and work all the time and looked really competent at it. And I was thinking to myself, like, am I even good at this? Is this the, the direction they want to go in? And I hadn't researched anything until that point. And I was just beginning researching as well. And if you're going into the academic field, research is, is critical, it's crucial. And so I didn't know if I was even good at that because I hadn't done it yet. So there was a lot of uncertainty about where I was going to kind of take my career because when you sign up for a degree at UQ, you kind of have laid before you like, I don't know, three year, four year, five year, depending on your degree, a pathway. And as you reach the end, you can do so much variety, so much stuff. And it's pretty intimidating. So in my honest year, I got to this point maybe halfway through when I started to relax a little bit because once the shock of the difficulty of honors wore off and once I sort of realized actually no I am good at this even if I am doing it in a way that's different to my peers for example I kind of realized like actually yeah this is still the pathway that I want to be on and so in second semester that year that's when it is appropriate to apply for a PhD and I wrote up a PhD application for UQ you put in a slight research proposal and statement about who you are and things like that by then I kind of knew even more so that I was wanting to continue researching it because as the year headed towards the end I was feeling a lot more confident and comfortable in where I was but I guess the point of what I'm saying is that it actually was <laughs> a journey if you will something that you had to work through and think about and it wasn't super clear and another thing that was on my mind was where should I do my PhD do I stay in Brisbane and do my PhD at UQ Do I apply for the Ivy League universities in America? Do I try to go to Cambridge or Oxford? Things like that. And as someone who was kind of succeeding in my honesty, I had a lot of pressure from academics to try and 
like apply externally for PhDs because they thought I had what it takes to make it. And that was really overwhelming as someone who was just trying to figure out as a 22 year old, what they wanted to do. But yeah, I ended up choosing to stay at UQ and that's where I am now. And uh, I've really enjoyed my time here. And since starting my PhD, I've had the privilege of continuing to work with my supervisors, which honestly played a big part in my uh, desire to stay here as I'm working with academics that they feel like the best supervisors in the world. And in the context of this discussion, that means a lot to, to want to be here when you could pursue different places around the world. It's, there's certainly a lot more factors that play into that choice of where to do a PhD, but I didn't feel the need, at least at this point in my career, to look elsewhere because I actually just wanted to keep on working with my supervisors. So there's a lot more that could be said and discussed about here, but it wasn't straightforward, at least for me. Amazing. During your PhD, especially as a first year, we talked about you lecturing in 2050. Would you mind sharing how you end up lecturing, let's say, course coordinating? As I don't think it's a very common thing to happen to a first year PhD, right? Yeah, that's correct. It's not very common, especially in the School of Economics. I think I might be the youngest lecturer in the school, maybe ever. I don't know. So it's, it's somewhat unusual. Yeah, I'm happy to, I guess, elaborate on how that came to be, because I know it's certainly a question that people ask themselves often. Essentially, last year, I was just asked somewhat out of the blue by, I guess, the School of Economics and the representative if I would be interested in, in teaching Econ 2050 last year for semester two. And of course, from my perspective, I was thrilled that that's like teaching is something I'm passionate about. So I was excited to do that. In terms of why they did that, obviously decisions like that have many things going on behind the scenes. There was clearly a need to have someone who's a sessional lecturer. So that's the, the role that I have. Sessional lecturing is what you do when you're asked contractually to teach specific subjects. Of course, I don't work full-time as a lecturer or an academic because I'm a full-time PhD student, but I have this sessional lecturing position where they can ask me to do subjects as they see fit. And from just a purely a supply and demand perspective, their demand for lecturers <laughs> exceeded their supply of lecturers in that semester. So they needed to get someone to fill in sessionally. And I suppose they chose me because they were aware of my passion for the field and had seen me already do a lot of teaching in different areas and thought I was worth the risk. So yeah, that's, that's probably the best explanation I can give you about how that came to be. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. It feels like you're in the right place, the right time, apparently. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and now you just finished your first year. So congratulations on completing your first PhD milestone. Could you share with us a little bit of how it was and how a PhD at UQ works and maybe some advice for students planning to undertake a PhD in the future? Yes, certainly. So if someone's at UQ already and they're thinking about doing a PhD in the field of economics, usually the pathway that someone would take is doing their undergraduate, then doing an honors year, which is still counted as an undergraduate degree. But it's usually if you're just Bachelor of Economics, you have to then do another degree, Bachelor of Economic Honors, that you can't actually enroll in until you've finished your first degree. Um, or if you're doing something like BAFE, that's incorporated already and inbuilt into your degree. 
And in doing so, if you do your honors year in economics at UQ, the focus in that year is you do five subjects that are very high level, uh, micro, macro, econometrics, and then the area that you're specializing in. And those sort of advanced subjects are things that often overseas people do in their PhD. So overseas, an honors year doesn't exist. That's something that we do here in Australia. And so in a way, the PhDs like at UQ, for example, it's very much like you're doing your, your honors subjects, that intense coursework in that year. And then if you come back to do a PhD, you then move to focus, uh, move your focus onto researching. And so once you get to the PhD, you're then required to, I guess, write like three chapters and a chapter is basically like a paper and elaborated upon, I guess. And so you, you basically just hit the ground running and start researching. And yeah, that's what makes your PhD. So it's a bit different from the American and European universities because you've already done a lot of the coursework uh, in your honors year. And then the PhD here is focused pretty much solely on research. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know, I didn't know in that detail how, how it worked. Uh, I thought you had to do the, the, the courses again. It, it really seemed like a little bit repetitive from honors to PhD, but it makes sense. Yeah, I think that's worth clarifying about is that it, it also depends on your background as well. So some people do a master's of advanced economics and that combined with the research side of the PhD together is sort of equivalent to like an overseas PhD. It's just in Australia, those years are kind of split up a little bit. And I think it also depends on the student and what their background is as to what they are required to do a little bit. I'm not exactly sure how it works because my experience has been obviously tailored to me. But yeah, my experience so far was I haven't had to do coursework since my honors year. Uh, got it. Thank you. So I'll start wrapping up the podcast here. And before we go, what book or books would you recommend for our economic students? Interesting question. So I'm going to maybe interpret this question slightly differently as what are some things you should be reading as an economic student? And the reason I'm going to do that is because at the end of my undergrad, I did a course that asked us to write um, an essay on a research article. And I hadn't really read like economic literature and research articles much before because my undergraduate was like theory based and it just didn't really come up. And I remember reading this, this economic research article and just being shocked at what it was because it wasn't what I expected. My guess about what research and economics is like was just a guess. I didn't know. And it really changed my perspective on things. It's what made me excited for honors here because I saw how diverse um, economic literature can actually be. So in terms of what I'd recommend students to read is just literally Google, Google Scholar, different things in economics you might be interested in. Find a paper that has lots of citations, download it from the UQ library and, and read that. And I wish I did more of that in my undergrad because it's certainly really interesting. The abstracts are really good. You can find papers that you find interesting by just giving the, a, a peruse of the abstract and it will come in really handy later on because you're going to get good at doing that if you do honors and further research. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's great advice. I just started reading my first papers months ago. So I can do abstract introduction conclusion, but like the middle of it, it's still mm. pretty hard for me. <laughs> mm. Yeah, reading economic literature can definitely be like that. 
And if people want like advice, there's certainly some, some types of literature that are a bit more easy for people who aren't full on academics to read. And yes, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, perfect. Kieran, do you have any advice or final words to our listeners? Yes, actually I do. <laughs> um, this advice is something that one of my one of my mentors and my role models as a student, so a student who's like two years older than me, um, they told me this at the middle-ish, middle plus of my degree. And it really changed my perspective and what and what I did in uni. And I'm guessing if someone's listening to this podcast and have made it all the way through, I'm guessing this advice would probably apply to them. So I liked, I got along well with ambitious students. I was an ambitious student myself. And this person who was my friend was the past coordinator when I was a past leader and the person that I sort of took over from when they left and graduated from uni. And they have like a corporate career now that's it's been incredible to watch on from. And I saw them do summer semesters and do overloading in subjects and get like straight sevens most of the time, pretty much, and just really excel in their studies. And as they were handing over to me in this past coordinating job and we're just spending a lot of time together for this work, she was telling me, she was like, actually, I don't know how much I would do this again in terms of like just focusing so much on my career and going so quickly through it. Like it worked out for her and she smashed it. But I think that she was sort of explaining to me that during that pursuit of her career, she didn't always enjoy her time as much as she could have. And like, it's so simple, like stopping and smelling the roses, basically. It's so simple. But as someone who can be ambitious and career minded, that really stuck with me and resonated that it's important to enjoy your time at uni and to not always be looking forwards at the best parts of your career and how quickly you can get there. Because if you do that, you're going to spend your whole life always looking forwards to the future parts coming up in your career. And there's, there's always more stuff. It doesn't end. That's what's very clear to me as someone who you know, won a university medal or an uh, honors prize or things like that. There's always more prizes you can chase after. And it's important not to sacrifice who you are and what you're sort of enjoying and interested in doing and co-curricular and things like that just just for your career like don't not care about your career that's not my advice it's just make sure you're being mindful that careers come at a cost and you want to be a utility maximizing agent we say in economics and there's more to maximizing your utility than just getting like the best achievements so yeah I think if someone's listening at this point in the podcast and they're really ambitious student they're not telling you to not be ambitious just think about what you're choosing to do to achieve your ambition and actually I ended up doing sort of better after receiving that advice because once I sort of recalibrated how I wanted to approach things and did things on my own terms and how I was sort of naturally good at it and stuff like that that's that's actually what ends up lasting in the long run anyway so yeah I hope that advice can be helpful to someone because it was certainly helpful for me what a fantastic advice. Uh, Kieran Gibson, thank you so much for participating in our podcast. It was a pleasure talking to you. No worries. It's a pleasure talking with you as well. It's nice to meet you guys here today in the Zoom. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. See you later. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. We'll see you next time.